Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mahita Talks, the material handling industry's only podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Altergut, the Chief Experience Officer of the CX Edge. Today, I'm very excited to introduce our guest. His name is Will Mayberry. He's a controller of Mayberry Material Handling. Welcome, Will. Morning, Sherry. Glad to be on you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We kind of talked before, well, and we're going to talk about two really exciting, I think, very pertinent topics, especially to material handling. Uh, we're going to cover some generational differences, and we're going to cover working in a family-owned business, as some of you may have guessed from Will's name and the name of the company. Um, so why don't we like to just kind of jump right in and have our guests and our listeners get to know you a little bit better, Will. If you could tell me a little bit about yourself and then also a little bit about Mayberry Material Handling. Sure. And again, thank you, Sherry, for having me this morning on this podcast. I'm very excited about it. So again, my name is Will Mayberry, and we're talking about generational differences. I am 29 years old. Um, a millennial, as they would say. And a little bit on a personal level, I'm married and have been married for six years. My wonderful wife, Maura. We have a, a, a fun dog that keeps us busy. His name's Archie, um, and we live in Western Massachusetts. So uh, a little bit about myself. I graduated from Western New England University uh, with my undergraduate degree and graduate degree, master's in the science of accounting, and went and worked at one of the big four accounting firms, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, doing a lot of auditing and tax work there for a few years uh, before coming back and joining the family business um, back in 2015. So a little bit about Mayberry and, and the business is it was it was founded back in 1976 by my father and grandfather. Uh, so next year we're coming up on 45 years, which we're very excited about. Um, and it's grown from from my father selling tool benches out of his basement um, to now we are a, a crown lift truck dealer. Uh, we do material handling systems cleaning equipment, uh, parts, service, rental, so the aftermarket side, as well as uh, installation, fabrication, and engineering work. Um, so we do try and be that one source provider um, for anything material handling related. Well, awesome. I can tell you, I'm certainly jealous of um, you living in Massachusetts this time of year. I know it's beautiful. And uh, thank you for sharing some of that information with us. Now, your father is still president of Mayberry Material Handling, correct? Correct. And if I'm mistaken on the fact, I think he was uh, president of Mejita. He did his turn in, in the seat being president he did. of Mejita. He did back in, uh, I believe it was 2006. Awesome. So you guys not only have had a long-running successful business, but you've been a part of Mejita for a long time as well. So that's awesome. Um, so you had mentioned the year that you started working in your family business, but you got to help me out because I'm not quite as good at, at math as you are. So how old were you when you started uh, working for your family? Yeah, so kind of as you hinted to, I, I've been in the industry my whole life at being a family business. Um, so officially, uh, you know, working full time at Mayberry, I, back in 2015, I was 23 years old. Um, so again, coming from Price Waterhouse Coopers with the accounting background, I started in the accounting department you know, as a financial specialist um, prior to becoming controller. But again, as anybody in the family business knows, you know, I started very young. Um, 
probably about, I would say, 10 years old or so, you know, shredding paper, emptying trash cans, putting stamps on mailers, um, that type of stuff, all, all fun stuff. Um, and then working summers in between school and the parts department doing inventory, sales department doing database management, et cetera. But I, I will say I've been part of Mahita for a long time as well, um, not just the past few years professionally, but growing up um, with a lot of the, the children in Mahita, um, mm -hmm. Katie Richards and, and others. Um, and it's been, it's been a great experience growing up in it, meeting a lot of people. And, and a lot of those people are still in the industry um, which make it great for me um, to be a part of Medina now. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. And I think that's one of the great things about being able to work at a family-owned business, um, being part of the family, is being introduced to the business so young. You know, I do a lot of speaking at colleges and various organizations about the material handling industry. And kind of the opening line is, you know, nobody in high school, nobody growing up is going to say, oh, God, I can't wait to work in material handling, um, because most people growing up don't even know what that means. Uh, when I started in the industry over 20 years ago, I had never heard even the words material handling put together in a sentence. Um, but you would have an opposite story. You grew up knowing the material handling industry and thinking that you'll be in it, it sounds like. I do, but a lot of my friends, I don't think, know what I do, so <laughs> that's always a fun time. <laughs> Yes, I think we all face that. I even, after 20 years, and my mom has attended presentations I've given, um, I still don't know that she could fully explain what it is that <laughs> this industry does. I say it's the biggest industry that nobody's ever heard of. So what are, being a, a family-owned business, and I, I know you said your father is still president, and I believe your mother works there as well? She does. She does. And do you have any other family members that are a part of Maybury? That's it. I have one older brother, um, Tom, but he is not part of the family business. He's a doctor in physical therapy doing his thing um, in the Boston area. All right. So he got kicked out? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's good. So, you know, especially with having both your mother and your father there and your, your grandfather starting the business, what are some family values that you guys have that you believe contribute to the long-term success of Mayberry? Sure, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, it, again, it being a family business, a lot of the values are, do come straight from the top. Um, that's important. And so to come from John and Sandy, um, the values of integrity, you know, ethics, just being honest in, in regards to that and, and teamwork, um, safety, communication. I mean, those are all, you know, words that are used a lot in values, but really what it comes down to is just, in my opinion, kindness. Um, we try and be kind to everybody who works here. Um, we want them to feel a part of the family, um, a part of the vision and, and what we're striving for. And so when, when you can get a community like that, that feels uh, like they're striving for the same thing using all of the same values um, as the Mayberry family, it, it really helps achieve success for us. Um, in all aspects. Very cool. Now, you know, when you're dealing with um, family-owned businesses, and I think one of the problems that can occur is just dealing with conflict. Uh, for a lot of us, you know, we the conflict is a part of life. We have conflict, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, we might deal with that conflict in different ways. Um, 
and for a lot of people that don't have to work with their relatives, they deal with conflict very differently at home versus at work. Um, because your two worlds are kind of melded together, do you have any structures or anything in place to help deal with, with conflicts internally? Sure. So kind of a two-faceted question there in regards to, you know, if, if, is there any conflict family um, business related, you know, between myself and or my parents? Sometimes you hear um, that happening in a family business and, and how can you overcome those challenges? Um, I will say I've been very fortunate in regards to the working relationship that um, my parents and I have. Um, again, communication is a big key. Um, being honest is, is a big part of that as well. Um, and so making sure that, you know, if, if you're not agreeing with something or you're, you don't have the same viewpoint, make sure you say something, make sure there's communication about it um, so that you can, you know, it, it's all out on the table and everybody knows your, your viewpoint um, and nothing boils, you know, and because I think if, if you take any of that home, you know, into your personal life, um, then, then that becomes a problem too, um, personally, and that's the last thing that we would want in regards to the, the family aspect of it. Um, and, and then the other side of that is, you know, how do you deal with conflict of, of people within your organization? Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and again, I think it comes down to communication there. I think for us, when, when a conflict does arise, you know, we're trying to find the root cause um, of, of what exactly happened and, and not trying to put band-aids on, on problems um, and, and trying to actually see what, what, you know, what can we do to overcome this conflict, I guess, you know, proactivity versus reactivity and, and stuff comes up and, you know, you can't forecast everything. You can't predict all the conflicts that will arise. Um, so again, an important piece for me is making sure the communication channels are open uh, to be able to get the true picture of what's going on. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I love that you talked about root cause, because I think that's something we forget about a lot in dealing with conflict. And, you know, most people just want it to be over as quick as possible and move on. And they take the Band-Aid approach to fix it temporarily. Um, but the reality is, is that continues to come up unless you fix the root cause. And it's just harder to get there sometimes. And sometimes the people in the conflict don't know what the root cause is. You know, so I, I love that you touched on that and I think that's really important. I'm talking still about the organization and you had touched on it a little bit previously about, you know, keeping people engaged and, and feeling as part of the Mayberry family, even though, you know, maybe they're not blood related. Um, do you have some specific initiatives or examples that you could talk about how you keep non-family members engaged within your company? Absolutely. Absolutely. Great question. Um, I, I think, again, what we want to instill is that everybody has a voice here um, and that what they say matters to us um, and, and the direction that we're going. It doesn't matter what your last name is. Um, we want to hear all the ideas. Um, and so I, I think you know, specific um, things that we've done to kind of instill that are, are different types of teams um, that we've developed here. So we have a, a strategic leadership team. Um, we have a wellness team. Uh, we do lean process improvement um, teams. And so, so all of those teams, you know, give, give other non, you know, non-blood related members of the organization you know, a chance to get involved, a chance to, again, share their ideas. Um, because whether it's strategic 
leadership team doing strategic planning for next year or the wellness team trying to figure out how we can keep all of our employees as healthy as possible. Um, we want to hear other opinions. You know, this isn't just a, a narrow-minded, you know, you know, one viewpoint um, organization. We want to hear, we want to improve um, because I think that you're learning a lot from, from people outside of, you know, your perspective. I think everybody has their own perspective and I think everybody can contribute to, to a, a strong um, future here, success. I love that idea. Now, just for a little bit of good diving into those teams a little bit more, uh, for the most part, are people volunteering for those teams? Or are they selected for those teams? Or how does that process work? Sure. So a little bit of both. Um, so strategic leadership team is a selected group of, of management level um, executives that are, are kind of setting the vision. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Um, when we meet for strategic planning, we, you know, we come up with a plan for where we want to set, you know, our vision for next year. And, and then it, it funnels down to, you know, middle managers and, and going all the way down to every associate here to say, how are we going to get, you know, get to where we're going based on the initiatives that we're setting, you know, at the top to make sure that they're attainable, measurable, and that, and that we'll be able to achieve those. Um, so that one, the part of the, the, strategic leadership team that one is a defined set of individuals but it incorporates everybody as to where wellness we do it's, it's a volunteer-based team um, and we like to have involvement from from different departments of the organization again to gain different viewpoints um, and then the lean process improvement teams it's a mixture um, that you know depending on what you know part of the organization we're focusing on will we'll dictate kind of who is in that group, but also, you know, what do we want to focus on? And that's sort of a, an, an optional type um, or a, uh, a question in the direction that we want to head in. Yeah, I think that's a great initiative. And I think it does, to your point, get people more engaged and emotionally connected to the business, as well as the opportunity to get to know people that work in different departments than they might, which is also really important. Another good example, I guess, is our safety team. In regards to it's optional on who's involved, but we want involvement from every department. So, um, so we have involvement from every department, but but the individuals that are on it, you know, have have volunteered to be a part of that team because safety is is the entire company, um, not just you know one piece. Right. Exactly. So, kind of sticking on that topic and um about wanting information and wanting change and having these groups to bring new and, and fresh ideas i would assume you know within your company itself there's a mix of generations from you know millennials to boomers to xers and then on top of that you have yourself you said you're a 29 year old millennial i, I don't want to make any assumption on your father's age but i'm assuming he's um at the end of the boomers from an age perspective. It's a good um, assumption. Okay, so we'll just leave it there. You know, I think sometimes it can be challenging from a generational perspective to get new ideas through, um, only because you hear a lot, well, we've done it this way for, you know, 30 years and it's always worked, there's no need in changing, and that can be a struggle within a multi-generational organization. So how do you still continue to innovate still continue to grow, 
but balance sort of those past and present ideas. Sure. I mean, definitely a balancing act, um, to say the least, but, but one that is attainable as long as you listen. And I guess that's an important piece of, of this formula here is making sure that you're actually listening, you're not just hearing what they're saying, you're listening. Um, you know, we, we get the opinions of varying generations in these teams. And, and again, I can use strategic leadership team as an example, um, which I'm a part of at 29. And then there's, there's other, you know, members of the team um, that are older. And so I think that, you know, having those varying viewpoints in the same conversation, talking about the same initiatives and the same vision that we have um, is important. I think looking at what's working um, what's not is, is the start, but even if it's working, is there a more efficient way to do it? And I think gaining fresh perspective um, from different generations, you know, and not just getting one perspective helps to kind of push the, the brainstorming session forward into, all right, how can we get ourselves to the next level? Um, now, not dismissing the past because you learn a lot from the past. And so there's a lot mm -hmm. of experience um, in the room as well. And so learning from that and then applying it to what's present in the time that we're in right now. Um, so again, it's utilizing all aspects there, but making sure that we've learned from the past, but we're not stuck there and we're not getting, you know, too far ahead. I know that Mayberry has always been on, on the, what we call the bleeding edge of, of technology and trying to be the first ones out on, on varying platforms, um, which is a good thing, but it's, it's a balancing act on, you know, not being stuck and making sure that we have everything, you know, moving forward. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. I was actually at, I, I want to say it was one of my first parts and service manager meetings. Um, and I believe it was your father who was giving a presentation on technicians using tablets instead of work orders. And now, you know, that seems rather commonplace, but at the time, I hadn't heard of anybody doing that. And uh, the company I work for was so far away from doing anything like that. Um, so you definitely have been on the cutting edge and I think that's important to keep growing. I work with a lot of marketing managers and um, you know people that are probably in sort of the millennial era and still today, it's hard for them to get some of their ideas through to what I'll say is the more experienced leaders in some cases and it, it comes back to a lot of generational differences but I tell people that today there's access to more free information than there ever has been and so if you can make your case in a data-driven approach if you can make your case using research and information and examples of companies that have ever done it before what's worked what hasn't worked it can help ease that gap because then it's no longer an assumption it's based in some reality if that makes sense right because no i think you nailed it because i think that you know a, a common phrase that's heard a lot that you know i don't like but you know if it's not broke don't fix it where i think that you're right if you take a data driven approach and, and you can bring that data to the table and say and lay it all out and say i understand this might not be broken but here's here's some data to prove that we can make this process more efficient moving forward um, that gains a lot of, of ears in the room mm -hmm. to, to listen to what you're saying because you have some, some facts to back that up. Great. Um, kind of sticking on the generational topic, what would you say that you define leadership differently than older generations? 
Uh, absolutely. Um, I would say absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, generation, and there's a lot of studies out there and a lot of different things, you know, you can read about generational differences and, and each, each generation has its weaknesses and has its strengths. Um, but I think that, you know, there was a hierarchy um, approach to leadership in the past. Um, I think that, you know, my definition and, and speaking for myself alone is, is a more collaborative and, and team-driven approach to leadership um, and not necessarily just directive um, in nature. And, and again, I think there's weaknesses and strengths to both of those, but I think understanding, you know, why something's happening the way that it's happening, uh, getting everybody in the room and having everyone have an equal voice um, and listening to what they're saying, making sure that I can understand the frustrations, the challenges, the successes that are happening and being able to lead from there um, pro provides me with much better result um, at the end of the day when, when I'm trying to get something accomplished than just trying to do it all myself uh, um, in more of a you know, boss approach per se. Um, so, so I would say I define it differently. Um, again, I think that you know, leadership styles, everybody has their own style. And I think that's true for generational differences too. I think that you know each generation has their way of doing it, and and again, no wrong way of doing it. I just think that you know in today's age, and and with the shift in workforce um, being to more millennials in the workforce, they want to be involved. Uh, they want their voice to be heard, and and they value that. Yeah, I think you make a great point. It's it's really as as the demographic as your of your organization changes, leadership needs to change along with that. Because at the end of the day, managing and leading is about people. And you have to do it in a capacity that motivates them. Um, so that brings us to kind of our last question before we get into our very exciting lightning round. Is from a millennial perspective, what would you say motivates you? Sure. And, and, and I sort of touched on it, but I, and, and what I mean by that is I want to feel like I'm making a difference. Um, I want to feel like I'm part of the team. Um, I want to feel like my voice is being heard and, and that I that I can contribute to, to the future of the organization. Um, so I, I think, you know, again, for me personally, as a, as a family-owned business and being the third generation, you know, in this business, success is what's going to continue to motivate me to make sure that Mayberry can continue uh, its longevity into the future in the material handling industry. And so that alone will probably motivate me to make sure that I'm doing all the right things I need to be doing um, to keep me going. Um, so, so, but from a millennial perspective, I also want to make sure that, that my voice is heard. Um, I have good ideas and I think, you know, you have to just be able to have the platform to express those ideas and have them be, be listened to. Awesome. Totally great. Um, all right. So if you've listened to our podcast before, our listeners are always very excited about our lightning round. It helps us get to know our guests a little bit better um, and in a fun sort of way. So I have 10 questions that I'm going to ask you. It is a, a lightning round, so it's the first thing you think of that comes to your head. You can answer it. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. So I like to start off with an easy one. Uh, do you prefer crab cakes or lobster rolls? 
Lobster rolls. Would you rather have skin that changes color based on your emotions or tattoos that appear all over your body depicting what you did yesterday? Ooh, uh, my mood. My mood. <laughs> it keeps you honest for doing that. That's right. Oh. <laughs> what is something you really resent paying for? Oh, I really resent paying for? So I thought is being it, a controller would be everything. Is taxes one of those? Yeah, that's <laughs> a good <laughs> Can you describe to me the last photo you took with your phone? The power outage, National Grid electricity power outage map for our town. <laughs> wow. We had a little storm come through last night. So. <laughs> um, what is the spiciest thing you've ever eaten? That one chip challenge that was going around. That? Oh, I did a piece of a chip. That was the hottest thing I've ever eaten. Oh my God, those are terrible. My daughter loves hot stuff and she's only nine. And we did the hot ones challenge. And I bought one that was like eight out of 10. And I thought I killed her. I mean, because she <laughs> had one bite and her whole face just. You can't even talk, you know? It just takes over. So. What are you interested in that most people are not? Uh, race cars, driving them. Driving um, And cars in general, I think. I think a lot, well, I guess a lot of people are, are into cars, but um, antique cars. Okay, that's a good one. Um, what TV show character would be most fun to change places with for a week? Um, probably one of the Oppenheim brothers on that show, Selling Sunsets. <laughs> okay. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but they seem to live a pretty good lifestyle out there. <laughs> they do. <laughs> if animals could talk, which animal would be the most annoying? It's the first thing that comes to mind would be, would be yeah. a bird. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I guess I feel that they'd be annoying. Yeah, I know. I would agree. I could see birds being super annoying. Um, especially like geese. That definitely could be annoying. Um, what is something that all of your friends agree on? <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing? <laughs> Everybody yeah. disagrees to disagree. I get... Oh, man. We, we all agree that everyone disagrees about suicide. <laughs> In this climate, that's not um, and the final one, what life skill is rarely taught in school but extremely useful? Kindness. Kindness. Very kindness. good. I was I was gonna say beer pong. Like I kindness is much better answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this has been so much fun. We're at the end of our podcast. Do you have any closing remarks that you would like to leave our audience with? Now, I just want to, you know, thank you for your time, Sherry, in doing this, and, and I want to thank Mahita um, for providing all of these opportunities and, and a great um, association to be a part of. And, and in closing, I also just want to thank everybody at, you know, Mayberry Material Handling, my parents, um, you know, for putting me in the position that I am to be able to talk to you today. So um, we have a great team here, and, and, and I'm very proud to be a part of it. Awesome. Well, thank you, too, for your time and your service to Mahita. Um, I think we covered a lot of great topics today, and there's a lot more to cover, I think, in both of these areas. So um, hopefully we can have you back on in the future. So thank you. Thank you, Sherry.